Well, as Daniel mentioned this morning, we're going to try to review um, the book of Deuteronomy, which essentially means we're going to take about 37 sermons and cram them into one uh, this morning. Actually, I'm going to resist that temptation, and what I want to try to do is not so much review every jot and tittle of the book, but help walk us through some of the major themes and ideas that God may have been speaking to you about your need to obey and my need to obey, speaking to us about these matters through the book of of Deuteronomy. Um, So today what I'm going to do, I'm going to say some things that I hope you've heard before. I'm going to tell some stories that I hope you'll remember in the hope that it will bring you to remember the obedience to which God is calling you to through the book of Deuteronomy. Those are two of the great themes of the book of Deuteronomy, remember and obey. And this morning we want to try to embrace those and avoid the tragedy of the Prince of Granada. You remember the story about the Prince of Granada? He appeared earlier in Deuteronomy. He was an heir to the Spanish crown. He was imprisoned at a place um, in Madrid called the Place of the Skull. And it was known that once you went into that prison, you would not come out alive. When he was imprisoned here, they gave him one book, which was the Bible. And so for 33 years, he read that book. And at the end of the t- at that time, he died. And then they went into his cell. They found notes that he had engraved with a nail in the soft block of his prison cell wall. And at the hundreds and hundreds of times that he had read the Bible, this is what he got out of it. He wrote, um, Psalm 118, verse 8, is the middle verse of the Bible. Ezra 7:21 contains all the letters of the alphabet except the letter J. The ninth verse of the eighth chapter of Esther is the longest verse in the Bible. No word or name more than six syllables can be found in the Bible. The guy spends 33 years of his life reading the Bible, and all he gets is trivia. Could that be said of you? 37 weeks imprisoned in the book of Deuteronomy, and all you get is trivia. Dude, chapter 23 is crazy, isn't it? There is to be much, much more that we're to carry away from the book of Deuteronomy than trivia. What has God said to you through our lengthy study of this book that you must, you must take with you now? What does a loving obedience to a loving God look like for you specifically? Deuteronomy, as we've said over and over, it's the renewing of the covenant with a new generation of people. Um, God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, but because of their lack of faith and their rebellion, that generation died in the desert and was not permitted to enter the land of God's promise to them. A whole new generation is about to enter when the book of Deuteronomy starts, and it's a renewing of God's covenant with that generation. And Moses does this through three sermons. First four chapters of Deuteronomy make up the first sermon. It's about remembering God's great acts. The middle section of the book, which runs from chapter 5 to about chapter 26 or so, contains the law, the Ten Commandments and the law. And it's given over to calling the people to obedience. And the last sermon of the book um, has to do with the actual ratifying and renewing of the covenant. And it gives the people hope. 
He has Moses' great prayer for the people and his blessing upon the people, as well as the blessings and the curses of chapter 27 and 28. Um, Deuteronomy, if I was going to say it simply, it's the unfolding of God's loving care and provision for his people. That's, That's really the heart and soul of Deuteronomy. In chapter 7, verse 6, and I'm going to go be running all through the book of Deuteronomy, mostly in order. So if you want to follow in your Bibles, if that helps you stay awake, uh, go to the beginning. Otherwise, you can watch the screen up here, and hopefully most of the verses will be up there as well. But in chapter 7, it says, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So this whole exercise of the rescue of God's people and deliverance of them from slavery revolves around the fact that God loves them. Deuteronomy is the love of God being unfolded for his people in the past, in the present, and in the future. But it is also a call for us as God's people to love him back. In Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, this is called the great Shema. Shema meaning here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." Most of you are familiar with People Magazine. I hope you don't read it, but you're probably familiar with it. And People Magazine's editor long ago, Richard Stolle, devised a set of rules for a successful cover to People Magazine. You remember these? Young is better than old. Pretty is better than ugly. Rich is better than poor. TV is better than music. Music is better than movies. Movies are better than sports. Anything is better than politics. Can you hear an amen about that this time of year? Nothing is better than a celebrity who has just died. It describes not only what sold magazines, but what magazines are trying to sell to us. And we ask the question, we're going through Deuteronomy, if your life was a magazine cover, what would be on it? What's the great rule that's governing your life? What determines why you do what you do and why you don't do what you won't do? What is that? In Deuteronomy 6, Moses is saying, what must matter most in our lives, what is the cover of our magazine, is this, verses 4 and 5, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now Jesus, somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing in the world, basically? 
And Jesus quotes this verse in, in Mark 12. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus says, put this picture on, on the cover of your life. I am a lover of God. That's who I am. That's what defines me. That's what describes me. And that is what you must pass on to your children, Moses says. Verse 7 of chapter 6, teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, or when you rise. This is the legacy that we're supposed to leave to our kids. When they look at our life, they see a lover of God, a wholehearted lover of God. That's what we must teach them, model for them when we sit in our house and when we walk by the way, when we're at home, when we're out and about, being diligent to teach our children to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, does that really describe you? Is that really what's on your cover? That's one of the central issues that the book of Deuteronomy asks us to wrestle with. Is loving God back the thing that matters most to you? Now, I want to trace today three great themes of the love of God in the book of Deuteronomy and our response to that, how God loves us and how we love him back. And the first of those themes is this, that his love makes an exclusive claim on our life. God requires it all. Okay. It's the first of the Ten Commandments, right? Chapter 5, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Exclusive. Second commandment, same basic idea. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the water on under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. See, throughout Deuteronomy, explicitly, graphically, repeatedly, people are told, no idols, destroy the idols. Chapter 12 is one of the most vivid ones. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of the place. Destroy, tear down, dash to pieces, burn, chop down. Moses wanted there to be zero chance that they would get sucked in to the idolatries that surrounded them when they moved into the land. He says, destroy the very name of their gods. So there's a zero chance of being unfaithful to your God. Idols are not to be tolerated, Moses says. They are to be destroyed. So we ask when we're studying chapter 12, what, 
What would it look like for you to take this attitude towards the great idolatrous temptations of your life? Would there be no internet? Would there be no cable? No NFL ticket? Would there be no boat? No fishing license? No parade of homes? No recreational mall visits? No ice cream in the freezer? No credit cards? No six-pack in the fridge? No tanning bed? Those things are not bad in and of themselves. But they might be dangerous for you if they're places where you used to worship idols. If that's the case, then chop down, dash to pieces, burn, destroy, Moses says. When we went through this before, I showed you some pictures of a bike ride where I got desperately lost and went about twice as far as I was supposed to go out at Oak Island um, on the coast. And I was, uh, as a result of being lost and having gone way too far, I came up to this bridge and had to go up over this bridge. It doesn't look like much until you look at it from a different angle. And then you get a sense that it's a pretty serious bridge. And the, the worst thing about it was not the hill I had to climb, but when I got up there, this is what it looks like when you're on your bike looking over the edge. Um, that's, that's the drop. And the next slide shows the, the size of the railing, about knee high. Remember me talking about this? Scare me to death riding along there. I'm up on this bike pedaling along there. You know, one little gust of wind, I'm over. So I'm not riding near the edge. I'm all the way over in the lane of traffic. You know, people are having to swerve around me because I'm not going near the edge. It's dangerous near the edge. But with our idols, they have lulled us to sleep and we don't think they're dangerous anymore. We like the view, so we coddle them. And Moses is telling us, he's begging us, stay away from the edge of idolatry. What do you have to do to step back from the edge and be safe? What does it mean for you to chop down, burn, destroy what does that mean for you? You got any idols that you're protecting? Idols that show themselves in a disobedience to God that you're tolerating, that you're cozying up to, that you're even protecting or feeding? Has God pointed out anything in your life through the study of Deuteronomy that is competing for him for your greatest loyalty? A refuge you prefer when you are troubled. Rather than God, you go to this. What must you do about it? Would you commit right now to an earnest conversation with God and someone else you trust about that this week? Would you, will you commit to do that? To take that important step of stepping back from the edge of idolatry? We must destroy tear down, dash to pieces, burn, chop down, and destroy their name from this place. These things that might steal our hearts from a pure love for our God 
And if we don't, Deuteronomy's full of scary warnings. Here's one from chapter 27. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. So don't leave Deuteronomy with your idols intact. Do what God is prompting you to do right now. Do, do what he's prompting you to do. And that's really the second great theme in Deuteronomy of the way God loves his people. Um, his love asks great things of us. He asks obedience of us, his love does. Um, in chapter 6, there's a fascinating anticipation that goes on. Moses says, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. So when your kids ask you, why is loving God on your cover? Why does our family follow the ways of God? You say two things. You say, first of all, you have to teach them about the great and powerful rescue of God. Verse 21, you'll say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Chris Wright in his commentary says, this is like the Old Testament gospel in a nutshell. As such, it points to the greater rescue for us from our sin by Jesus. Why do we do what we do, son? Why do we live our lives lovingly obeying God? Because in love, in Christ, he has rescued us from our sins. That's why. But the second thing we pass on is we teach our children that his commands are always for our good. Always. Verse 24, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Always for our good. These commands, therefore, are good. And when I taught through this, I explained in our backyard we have um, an airsoft gun battleground, but there are certain places you cannot go. We didn't have any railings on our deck, and you couldn't go. Our deck was under construction. It was the best fort in the neighborhood. I didn't let them go there because it was for their good, always. You know, we have, we have a new rule now. You can't get on the trampoline. Because the trampoline has experienced structural failure in one corner. There's a hole about this big where there's supposed to be springs. It'd be fun for a little while to be on the trampoline. But no, no one is allowed on the trampoline okay? for their good. Not anti-trampoline. I'm anti-hospital visits. Okay? It's for their good. I love the way the... The New Revised Standard Version puts what our response to God is supposed to be like to these loving commands. In verse 25 of chapter 6, it says, If we diligently observe 
this entire commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, we will be in the right. It is so much the right thing to do to obey these loving commands that God has given to us. And these commands are for our good. A case in point, we went through a whole bunch of really strange-shaped laws in Deuteronomy. Some of them were the food laws. You remember the, the food laws? Um, here's an example from chapter 14. Don't eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these. The camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud, but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not teach. Uh, he goes on and tells you there are certain birds you can eat, but there are certain birds that you can't. Um, for instance, he says, um, don't eat the vulture. Okay, no problem. Not going to eat vulture. Why? Why all the commands? And as, as we've studied those, um, it's been pointed out, one of the commentators, again, Chris Wright, says that at every meal, as Israel chooses what they are about to eat, they're reminded that God has chosen them. And he is Lord of all their life, right down to their menu choices. He is Lord of all. And it's protecting them from idolatrous practices. That first verse that we read in verse 3, you shall not eat any abomination. An abomination is a reference in Deuteronomy to the idolatrous practices of the nations. So probably these foods were associated with their idolatrous worship practices. And God is protecting his people by these commands. Um, they're an expression of his love. They are for our good always. They require our obedience. What good are commands if they're not obeyed? And obedience throughout Deuteronomy, that's how we love God back. He lovingly gives us these commands for our good, and we love him back with our obedience. For instance, one area in Deuteronomy that happily transfers into our day is the way God loves for the poor and commands us to. Um, chapter 15 was one of those places. Verse 7, if among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near when debts were forgiven. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this the Lord your God will bless you, and all your work, and all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your 
land. Moses is anticipating some pushback from the people when they, someone came to borrow money from them or in need and they were going to lend them something they needed. Maybe that was the sixth year because the seventh year debts were forgiven. And they're thinking, this is not going to work out for me. I'm going to give away something that I might need. And they'd be tempted to harden their hearts to their brothers and sisters. They'd be tempted not to care about them. And so when our hearts are hard, we shut our hands to the one in need and we refuse to share what we have with those who are in need. Remember when we went through this? Was God prompting you to trust him and be more generous to people in need? Was that one of the steps of obedience that he might have been calling you to through Deuteronomy? See, when we don't trust God, we become hoarders out of fear. We want to keep it because we might need it someday. But God says, trust me and be generous. See, in Deuteronomy, obedience is how we love God back. What's the one act of obedience that you dare not leave Deuteronomy without doing? What is that for you? God's love is exclusive. It's jealous. It protects us. His commands are for our good. And the other thing that flows through this book about about God's love is that he really wants to bless his people. His love desires to bless his people. It's the whole idea of this land. It's flowing with milk and honey, right, that they're going to go into. It's the life and the land of their dreams. And God is helping them see how they can experience that. He wants them to experience it. He wants them to choose that blessing over all other options. And so he takes them. You remember this. When they get in the land, they go between two great mountains facing each other. And half of the people, chapter 27, um, verse 11 says, half the people go to one side to Mount Gerizim, and the other half go to Mount Ebal. And um, Mount Gerizim is the mount of blessing. Mount Ebal is the mount of cursing. And half the people are on one side, and half the people are on the other And the blessings are called out from Mount Gerizim. They sound like this in chapter 28. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. And blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. All of life will be blessed, God says. But from the other mountain, they hear this chorus. Verse 15, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in 
and cursed shall you be when you go out. And that's the choice that they are facing. Choose the blessing or choose the cursing. Choose to walk in God's favor or choose to walk in his disfavor. So every day, just like they did, we walk between those two mountains and we choose. Do I want the blessing of God on my life more than anything else? Do I want to walk in his favor by my obedience? So the choice for us, the choice Deuteronomy offers us, will you choose to obey God or not? In chapter 32, Moses says, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. Would you pray with me?